What's working on purpose anyway? Each week we ponder the answer to this question. People ache for meaning and purpose at work, to contribute their talents passionately and know their lives really matter. They crave being part of an organization that inspires them and helps them grow into realizing their highest potential. Business can be such a force for good in the world, elevating humanity. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration to help usher in this world we all want, working on purpose. Now, here is your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, which is home base for me. If you don't know me yet, I'm a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose, organizational logotherapist, inspirational speaker, social scientist, and author. My team and I help companies discover and articulate their purpose to thread it through culture and operations. And we work with forward-thinking or forward-reaching organizations to develop inspirational leaders who create cultures where people actually want to come to work and do their best. And we provide programs like the Grab Your Guster that enable individual team members to discover and unleash their passion and purpose at work to catalyze fulfillment, engagement, and productivity. You can learn more about us and how we can work together at EliseCortez.com. With us today is Chris King. He's a peak performance executive coach and motivational speaker who is focused on truth. He's the co-author of Renegotiate Your Existence, Unlock Your Impossible Life. We'll be talking about what he's learned about how we form beliefs and how they serve or don't serve us and the work he does to help people to quickly achieve impossible goals through flow. He joins us today from Playa del Carmen, Mexico, where he spends about half of the, of the year. Normally, he's in Los Angeles. Chris, welcome to Working on Purpose. Thank you so much for having me. I'm grateful to be here. I'm so glad I found you. You were uh, minding your very own business when someone sent me to knock on your door, and I'm very happy that that happened. So great to meet you. Great to have you on, Chris. Are you ready? I'm ready. I think you are. Just a little bit of energy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think you had enough coffee today. I think you're all, all right. right. Well, this is just your natural lull, to be honest I, with you. I, I know this about you. Yeah. Just a, you're, the, you're the human spark plug. So. Right, um, right. I, they ask me what my sign is. I say neon, you know. <laughs> That's so great. Um, all right. So let's get right into this. Now, for, for people who don't know what you do, your world, you're a peak performance executive coach. Um, and, and obviously a motivational speaker. So first, what do you mean by peak performance? I just had a conversation with somebody else about something that I thought was so mainstream, which is conscious capitalism, and they had this whole idea of what that was. So maybe we have a different idea about what you do, peak performance. How do you describe it? Yeah, well, the, you know, the, the thing is, and I, I get some feedback on this, like, you know, peak is spelled really weird on your website. So yeah, that's <laughs> not a typo. It's, it's intended <laughs> that way. P is P-I-Q-U-E because what we're talking about is, yes, we are talking about exponential increases in velocity, in creativity. We're talking about lowering stress levels. We're, we're talking about uh, everybody in the organization being a high performer. Um, but the work that we do and the way we do, uh, the way we do it is particularly disruptive. It's, it's an assault on the ego. So peak is very upsetting. It is uncomfortable work. Quite simply, it is not for the faint of heart, uh, but it's always worth it. What I say, the, the juice is always worth the squeeze. I love that. Okay, so right out of the gate, of course, I, I, I have to just rivet in on the idea of impossible goals. I have done some work for around transformation and innovation, and this idea of people say, well, we can't do that. There's this big can't, you know, that, that performance barrier. And there's something for you. You do something. There's something about this whole thing about impossible goals. Why impossible goals, Chris? Well, because we can achieve so much more than we think we can. 
you know, and, and, you know, the Navy SEALs talk about this, the 20X rules, right? You, you can achieve 20 times more than you think you can, if your life depended on, if you can, if you think you can run a mile, you can probably run 20. And, and when we stretch beyond what we think is possible, you know, maybe we don't get all the way to the impossible that we thought we would, that we hoped we get to, but we get a lot farther. So focusing on possible is already limiting yourself. Mm, that's that is very distinguishing. I love that. Okay, so you already mentioned something about I think it was some kind of a torture technique that you used it to fulfill these results. Or just kidding. Your methodology. Speak to a little bit of your methodology, please. Well, it's uh, it's difficult to say. It's my methodology, uh, right? This is this is all based in science. Uh, essentially, it's it's um, it's a combination of who I am, what I've learned, and how I'm applying it, right? Um, when I was a kid in grade school, every teacher I ever had told me I was disruptive. Well, I couldn't agree more, to be honest with you, uh, because that's that's where the process starts. It's we're going to disrupt everything that's happening in an organization and within an individual. Peak performance through our lens is nothing more than getting your psychology and your physiology to work for you instead of against you. So you mentioned the whole can't thing, right? Somebody says I can't. Well there's like a neurochemical cocktail associated that with the mental framework behind that. So in our work, it is about aligning everything you have and everything you are with the outcomes that you're looking for, your thoughts, your feelings, your actions, all of your resources, time, money, energy, everything you've got, physical space, all of this can be aligned and purposed towards an outcome. So it's all about leverage, right? A lot of um, performance organizations talk about efficiency or productivity. We look through the lens of leverage. How do we get a whole lot more using a whole, a whole lot less? Mm -hmm. So as you're speaking, one of the things I'm very present to, Chris, because I do some of that work as well, is, is I, can, I can imagine a couple of different scenarios as you're doing the work that you're doing. One is that you, you're creating an environment, a situation, a possibility for people to step into and see themselves more than they could see themselves before. So you're helping to maybe add a lens to their viewing perspective. That's one possibility. The other possibility is that you, in their narration of who they are and what they're up to and how they go about life, you can start to notice, wow, do you recognize that you actually do this differently than other people do? You cross this river in a whole different way somebody else does. So I kind of can imagine a couple ways that you go about elevating and enlightening people to this impossibility mindset. Can you speak a little bit more to just, you know, how you do it? Well, the, as I said, the first thing is to disrupt everything. And then it, and then it's a process of accountability. Uh, this is where things start to get really uncomfortable, right? We, we look through the lens of 100% responsibility. Okay. We don't work in a world of blame and fault. That's, that's old school kind of thinking, right? When we look at responsibility, think of it as a hyphenated word, right? Response hyphen ability, your ability to respond to something. And what we do is we couple that with the idea of ownership. When we have responsibility for something, we have ownership of it. So think about your cell phone for a second. If it's sitting on the table, it's not your phone. You, you have no power to affect that. The second you take ownership of that and it, and it becomes <coughs> yours, you empower yourself to, to affect it, to do something with it. So what we'll do is with it, whether it's an, or an individual or a team, we're going to disrupt their existing patterns, bring conscious awareness to them and disrupt them. Then we're going to go through, we're going to look at everything through the lens of 100% responsibility, ownership for the situation or for the goal or whatever it is we're trying to do. Then what we're going to do is we're going to start doing um, behavior modification. And you're, you're actually going to know probably more about this than I am, right? Because behavior modification is the tricky part. 
Um, but if we can set conditions and behaviors in the organization, we can start to produce these exponential increases in speed and creativity and eliminate stress levels. And this is what is known as flow. This is what athletes call being in the zone or runner's high. Um, it's all driven by your natural neurochemistry. Anybody can get into a flow state if you set the conditions and behaviors to, uh, so that it's a flow rich environment, it basically becomes the natural end result of setting the stage for it. Okay. Awesome. Two things. Oh, so when I hear the word responsibility, especially in the hyphenated format, I go to logotherapy. Are you versed at all in logotherapy and Victor Frankl's work? Uh, I read, okay. No is the short answer. I'm familiar with it. I will say mm -hmm. this much. Uh, one of my colleagues is a man named Tom Drucker, who, uh, who's just a very sweet and brilliant man. He's got a very extensive and impressive career. And it all started when, um, when he worked for Victor Frankl way uh -huh. back when. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, so I read man's search for meaning, um, you know, and, and after working with Frankl, he was actually mentored by Maslow himself. So his pedigree is ridiculous. Oh, I'm so envious. Yeah. Okay. Cause I, that's definitely blood over for sure. Cause I, I am a logotherapist. That's the Victor Frankl space. Mm -hmm. And so I, I immediately registered that. And the second point I definitely want to make about your methodology, your approach that I love is it's empowering. Right? When you can be, you can help people understand that no, 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 you are responsible for this. You can, this is within your reach. That is empowering. And I really, really admire and appreciate that. Well, thank you. It's, it was a, uh, a painful lesson that I learned actually. <laughs> well, that's where I wanted to go next, my friend. You know, you can run for me, but you can't hide because I'm an, I'm an identity researcher. So, you know, I have to, you, I got to get the goods on just how it is that you became this human being that you can do this work today. So what's the story? A little bit of a you know a narration of how it was that you that you got into the world of work and how you land where you are today. Yeah, that I'll, okay. So the Cliff's Notes is um, yeah I, I I did a master's program in spiritual psychology. And I, I saw that it was very intrigued. I went to hippie school as I like to call it. Uh, <laughs> a um, you know and I've and I've trained and collaborated with the best. You know Stephen Kotler's organization, the Flow Research Collective, Jamie Wheel at the Flow Genome Project. Uh, I've trained with uh, retired and actually actively currently trained with uh, retired U.S. Navy SEALs. I mean, this is these are all organizations that are oriented around performance. Um, now, I have a very long and, and intimate relationship with flow itself. I was an ice hockey player. I was I was trained uh, how mm. to race go karts and cars when I was a kid. So I understand what it means to be in the zone. Um, I, I didn't really know that, you know, what how that worked in terms of the the neurobiology behind it you know i learned that much later um but ultimately this became the delivery vehicle for anything that i wanted in my life um because my my life you know i didn't come out of a box this way i, I was a disaster um my I, I i grew up in a in a very privileged neighborhood in a very scary house and so mm -hmm. um so at one point I realized while none of my childhood history or any of this was my fault, all of it was my responsibility. Hmm. And that was when I started to sort of, you know, renegotiate my, my life on this planet. So I have another perspective that I want to share with you and just sort of try this on. Um, so I have this thing when I do, when I do my strengths finder workshops, I, I always ask the crowd, 
when you were a kid, somebody you got you were told by a few people that you're too whatever, and there's always a negative adjective afterward too, and people will readily you know can produce you know a few words or you know one in particular that come afterward too. You said your teacher said that you were a disruptor, disruptive. Yeah, they said well, I was disruptive. That's it, right? That is that's who you who you the role you've been playing in the world, right? And and so you disrupted even you know even your own homeostasis in your own home, and you know by by recognizing that you weren't the victim to it, you were responsible for it, and and here you are disrupting lives tremendously by helping people achieve the impossible. I mean that is a disruptor, Chris. And so I think it's really interesting when you start to peel back and you can see that this stuff has been with us forever, right? And yeah. It's just a matter of how, to your point, how do we express it and what vehicle do we use to be able to serve from it? Yeah. How, how do you relate to whatever it is? You know, like how, how you relate to the issue is the issue. I was told I was disruptive. I told that I talked too much. I was told that people would pay me to shut up. Well, when I started, you know, to realize that this was actually a good thing, now they pay me not to. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, pay you not to not to shut up, right? Um, because you're, you know, so it's just, it is rather comical that you are a motivational speaker as well, right? So, right. and so this is what I find so fascinating about life, right? Is somehow if we can, you know, pay attention to the voices that actually help us find our way, and ignore those people that may be well intentioned or just misguided. And, and you know, forget those who t- that told you you know that you're too disruptive and you know too talkative and to be quiet, right? Imagine if you had heeded those those words. Oh, I did for a long time. You know, I, I shut myself down. I I stopped talking. I really went into a shell. I mean, there there are any numbers of strategies. Uh, you know, because this was not accepted by my peer group. I, I will tell you what I've learned is that everything, everything about you is a gift. And if you do not see it that way, you have simply misidentified it. There's nothing wrong with you. Okay. I know right now somebody's going, there's totally these things wrong with me. No, you're wrong. It's a misidentification. Nothing is wrong with you. You are perfectly, you, there is an architecture to you that is perfectly designed to fulfill whatever your purpose, whatever your mission, whatever that thing is, you just need to figure out how do I recognize this for the gift that it is, and how do I put it into service? I completely agree, and have to tell a story on that front. Um, so my daughter, who's now 19, when she was a kid, Chris, like I'm going to call it, you know, I don't know, five, six, seven or so, her dad and they were having a conversation, and he said, very, very, you know, dramatically, he said, she can be anything she wants to be in life, as long as she's an investment banker or an accountant. And I went, <clears throat> this is a CPA speaking, by the way. I said, mm, you know, I don't know. Have you just sort of watched this kid at all lately? You know, this is a kid who literally she walks out the back patio door. She throws the door and she's she's braces into the wind. She goes, Mama, do you smell that breeze? And I'm just like, she's so sensate. I don't know. I just don't quite see it. How about instead of assigning her away, how about instead we go looking for who she really is in the world and discover her her unique nuances and help her find a way to make that work in the world? He said, Sounds dumb, but I'll go with it. And to his credit, he did go with it. And we discovered that this little six, seven-year-old decided she wanted to be, no surprise, a chef. So we, she had her own website. She had her own business cards. Said Gabby's gastronomy, and she would make things and go some on the weekend without anybody telling her anything. She outgrew that. But we did. We just watched her. Just we went looking for her. And wouldn't it be amazing if employers did that for all of their team members? If parents did that for all of their, of their for their kids, right? That would be the thing, right? So I think you and I both stand for that. But 
there's there's this a story that I can't help but but pass on given what you just said. That's a beautiful story. I'm glad you shared that because you're right. I think I think leadership, I think parenting is a process of discovery. Mm-hmm. And then celebrating, you know, find a way to make that work. I'll have another story for you after the break, but let's grab our first break already that goes so fast. I'm Dr. Elise Cortez. We're on the air with Chris King. He is a peak performance executive coach and motivational speaker who is focused on truth. We've been talking a bit about his journey of how he got to be where he is today. Some of the things that he does in his work after the break, we're going to continue peeling back those layers and hearing more about this thing about truth. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to the program. Before we get back into the content with Chris, I want to invite you to check out my book that I brought out a couple of years ago. It's called Purpose Ignited, How Inspiring Leaders Ignite Passion and Elevate Cause. It's on Amazon now. And I really wrote it to awaken readers to their passion and purpose and transform them into inspirational leaders who will actually elevate people to want to make them come to work and do their best. We use this content as a basis for the Violin Inspired Leadership Program and the Grand Augusto Program. So I hope you check it out. If you're just joining us, my guest is Chris King. He's a peak performance executive coach and motivational speaker who's focused on truth. He's the co-author of Renegotiate Your Existence, Unlock Your Impossible Life. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. <clears throat> so I promised a quick story, and then I have, an, I have a, several more questions for you, young man. Um, so speaking of being able to go looking for someone, go, go looking for a team members, go looking for people in our life who we want to help elevate. Um, I had the great fortune of first being recruited by a man who got me out of my small town in Northeastern Oregon when I was 18 to work for him in his commercial real estate development company. And then when I was just within 18 months, he fired me. And he told me that I had to go see the world, get an education and do something with myself. And the thing about that, Chris, was the reason he did that is because he saw so much more in me than being his, his right arm administrative assistant. He said, you could do so much more. And it would be a crime to keep you here. I had no idea I could do anything beyond what I was doing. Right. What a gift. Right. So when we go looking for people and we help them reach that potential, we start and help them, you know, you know, ache for it. Right. That's such a gift. And I know that's the work that you're doing. So now I have to ask, you know, I know that this doesn't happen overnight, but, you know, I have to ask. I mean, you are you are clearly a force, Chris. I mean, when I first talked to you some months ago, I knew that. So I want to understand if you can articulate for us what has called you to do this work that you're doing today. Where does this come from? I don't like being told no. <laughs> Sorry, was that my out loud voice? I'm so not surprised. I don't like being told what I can't do. Look, don't tell me what can't be done, okay? I live in a town where people pay like $30 for avocado toast. I mean, trust me, you can do anything, all right? Um, <laughs> I, I think that, you know, my father, um, probably probably the brilliant man, the most brilliant man I've ever met to this day. And I don't say that because he's my dad. I say that because he's probably the most brilliant man I've ever met. He's, he's an electromagnetic compatibility engineer, OK? 
Okay. Wow. Um, who, who never went to college and barely graduated high school. He's just like uber propeller head, right? Um, but he would say, you know, when I was very young, he would tell me how recalcitrant I am. Mm, I love so that I, word. Right? <laughs> I mean, this, give me an idea of my early education, right? <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's, I, I just, I don't, I love to find the odds. I love an underdog. I love doing what can't be done. I love it when they say there's no way. And then they look back and go, how the hell did you do that? Mm-hmm. Okay, now I got to stop at this point and intervene another piece of the juncture in the road. Uh, I got to believe that you have just had some of the most amazing experiences helping people, as I say, step into their shine and totally transcend what they thought they could do. Can you just maybe give us a snippet or two of a story or some examples of that without giving away an identity, of course? Yeah, I, you know, there's one, there's a, um, one of our clients, she called me up. She was right after her 49th birthday. And she said, I have some goals by the time I'm 50. And she said, it's all the things that should have happened like 20, 30 years ago. I'm like, say more about this. She said, look, I went from my parents' house to my husband's house to my girlfriend's house. I've never stood on my own. She says, I've stalled out at work. I'm up against the ceiling. It's just, it's a mess. I've never owned a home. I've never, like, she had all of these things that she, uh, that she was just like, my life is not what I wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. So she and I started working together and I took her on um, because she was so on fire. Like she was so ready, so terrified. And I'm like, that's right where I need you to be. Um, <laughs> that's a good Terrified out of your mind, really wanting it and willing to, to work with me to make it happen. And, um, and she was like, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. Um, and, it, and it wasn't about money. She could nowhere near afford our, our normal rates, but she was so on fire. I'm like, I want to watch this happen. I don't care what she's paying me, what she's not paying me. Something epic is about to happen. And I want to watch that. That's my mm-hmm. selfish juice, right? So we started working together. Fast forward. She got a raise, a promotion, and a bonus on top of that. She got out of her 15-year disastrous relationship where she was just completely codependent and dysfunctional, as was her partner. She got extracted from that. She bought a house. She's a first-time homeowner, a place in LA. And then two months after all of that happened, she a, a position to open up in her company in Arizona that she was then in talks like, would you like to see about this position? And had she gotten it, the home in LA becomes passive income because she rents it out. She buys a place in Arizona. She's literally living in an alternate reality. Now, the place in the the position in Arizona did not come through, but they they actually told her, you know what, you don't want that anyway. It's not a good fit. There's something else happening. So now now the wheels are turning in a whole new direction. So not only has all this happened, but the way she relates to like something like not getting the job in Arizona where it would have cratered her, she is like, cool, what's next? Cool, what's next? Now this is normally a several like this this kind of transformation takes years right no nine months wow that's awesome chris so i have this this phrase that i like to use and i'll just bet you can resonate with this you know the work that we do in developing people and when you get to actually watch someone's molecules alter themselves in front of you transform themselves it is the most magical thing to witness is it not i'm so glad you mentioned that because you know, people look at us through the lens, oh, you're a business coach. And, mm, okay, <laughs> sure. But 
but the work that we do really does happen in the quantum field. We're talking about the subatomic. We are talking about powers that you don't know you have. Um, and, and this is, again, you know, as Kotler says, it's leveraging everything. It's getting your psychology and your physiology to work for you instead of against you. And if you understand anything about quantum mechanics, about physics, you understand that the simple act of watching something has an effect on the thing you're watching it right at the subatomic. So we know mm. that this is mm. all science. This is not woo woo hippie nonsense. You know, so when we talk about law of attraction, the power of manifestation, um, you know, Joe Dispenza talks about the, talks about this instead of going from cause and effect, working hard and, and getting results, you're causing the effect through mm. positive intention, through neurobiology, through energy, right? Everything is energy. Mm. You just taught me so much there, but most specifically um, and, and pointedly is that there is power and um, there is being there's something being received when I witness somebody transforming. They get something from my witnessing that. I don't think I understood that before. Thank you for that, Chris. That is just a gift. Um, no, no charge. I hope I can't afford. No, it. I had no idea that I said it. So, yeah. uh, okay, good, good, good. Okay, good. Okay, now we've got to get to what I teased up before the break here, and that's this little thing about truth that you that you seem to be, shall we say, stuck on. Um, so you you say you're focused on truth. What do you mean by truth, and how so? Well, I look at truth through a very new lens, even for me. Um, one of my teachers, I don't know if I'm allowed to say who it is. Uh, one of my teachers uh, says this brilliant, has this brilliant thing uh, where she says, truth isn't really about fact or not fact. Did it happen? Did it not happen? Truth is a frequency. Very interesting because again, here I am being, you know, you know, playing around in, you know, quantum geek world. Right. And, um, and so truth is a frequency. It's a vibration. Mm. It's a mm. resonance. Right. And this is, this is different. My truth is not your truth. Right. It's a completely different kind of thing. So in our world, again, there, there's no good or bad here. There's no right or wrong. There's no true or false. There is aligned or misaligned. And the trick is to align everything you have and everything you are with where you want to go, what you want to have, the experience you want to create. Oh my word! You are such a you're such an eminently quotable guy, Chris. You really are. I love how you articulate your thoughts, uh, and I love that truth is a frequency. You're welcome. That's not um, mine. That's I. I, I, I appreciate that. For that right? Yes, I got that. Thank you. However, you did share it with us, and you're the first that I've ever had it shared. Have anybody share it with me? So. Thank you for that, and thank you to your teacher. Um, okay, so next we have to talk about your pretty darn recent book that you co-authored. Um, it's pretty amazing. Renegotiate, renegotiate your life. So first, you know, I know what it takes to write a book because I've written a couple, and I'm now working on another one. And I don't know what I what I was thinking when I agreed to this, but um, first I got to know what compelled you to write the book. That's the first question. Well, I've been I've been threatening to write a book for the better part of a decade. Um, <laughs> And and the book I would have written over the years would be different books along the way. None of them I think I would be proud of. Um, this one really landed. Um, it, it started as, you know, I'm, I'm just going to write this kind of marketing piece. And um, and as you can, as you might imagine, there, there's a lot of content in here. Mm -hmm. And getting that organized was a real challenge. So uh, so my co-author, Michael Ashley, he's brilliant. He's written for Disney. He's, his pedigree is ridiculous. And he looks like he's about 15 years old. It's kind of annoying. Um, <laughs> but so he was able to uh, to get inside my head. And he just 
gets me. You know, he's he's done the reinvention thing. He's been on the hero's journey. You know, like he he and I had walked similar paths. So he was able to extract all of this from my my head, get it structured and organized so that I could write something. And so as I started writing, um, you know, again, I thought this was going to be it's a marketing piece, but in the process of writing, I actually started to give a crap about it. And that's when everything changed. And so, um, so the book is renegotiate your existence. I mean, you know, you can renegotiate contracts, you can renegotiate your job or your salary, you can renegotiate your relationships. I'm telling you, you can renegotiate your entire experience on this planet. If you understand how to do it, because ultimately your reality is a result. It's an end result of a system and any system can be hacked, optimized, recoded if you understand that system well enough. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And one of those systems that I definitely wanted to talk about, which I alluded to in the very beginning of the show, is you have a whole chapter entitled Taking Ownership of Your Beliefs. And of course, that's terribly compelling to me because I understand the power of beliefs. Mm -hmm. So what have you learned about belief formation and how we can change that, that formation? Well, through the lens of responsibility, what is a belief? I can define a belief in one word. It's a choice, right? Mm. As you know, beliefs are choices that I have not taken responsibility for. The second ah, I take good. responsibility for that, for that choice, right? The second I take responsibility for that belief, I can choose any belief I want, right? And my opportunity, if not obligation, if I'm to be a good steward of my purpose, a good steward of my mission, my obligation is to make the choice, select the belief that aligns with that. So what mm -hmm. I tell clients that want to buy a house or want to get a promotion or want to launch a company and sell it to Google for billions of dollars or whatever, there are certain luxuries when you work with us at Status Flow that you cannot afford anymore, right? I'm not good enough. I don't deserve it. I'm not lovable. You cannot afford these luxuries of playing small anymore, right? Once there is awareness, there is choice. Yeah. And so let's talk about that whole thing of awareness really quick. Um, it's fascinating, right? We do so much stuff on autopilot, right? The way we drive our cars, the way we take a shower, the way we put our makeup on, the way we, everything, it's on autopilot, right? Mm -hmm. So the opportunity is to make those beliefs conscious, right? Mm -hmm. Can you say a bit about, you know, how to, how to help people do that? Well, it's, you know, getting help, right? I mean, because essentially what you're talking about is, is you know, it's, it's like a mechanic working on the car that, that he or she is driving. Right. It's very difficult to do. You've got to have uh, some outside perspective. I can tell you this much. Understanding how you relate to everything is, is, a, great, um, is a great way to start understanding what your beliefs are because ultimately the world is a mirror. It is reflecting back to you everything you think, everything you feel, everything you believe, right? Your reality is based, started right here and is being reflected back to you out there. So if mm -hmm. you wanna know what you believe about something, look at something, right? Notice how you feel about it. Um, the, the more you cling to a belief, the more charge you're gonna have around it. Just get on social media, have somebody say something you disagree with. Argh! There's a very strongly held belief, right? <laughs> Demonstration number one. Yes. Right. Excellent, Chris. 
All right, let's grab our, our last break here. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We were in the air with Chris King. He's a peak performance executive coach and motivational speaker who is focused on truth. We've been talking about just what that means to him as well as some of those important navigating beliefs that help guide whether what we get in life or whether we don't. After the break, we'll continue the conversation. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. One other announcement before we get back to Chris, I have to share with you that after spending about two years of putting together an anthology of women's stories from around the globe, their story, their intimate stories, how they've discovered their purpose and are now serving from it, it's now available on, on Amazon. It's called Passionately Striving and Why. It's um, 25 stories. And so I wrote that actually, or I, I curated that, I should say, to be able to help you find a way to look at those paths that they took to find their purpose and see if that helps you find yours. So I hope you'll I hope you pick a copy of that up as well. Also, by the way, I'm out scouting for men who have discovered their purpose and want to share that in this collection as well. So if you know anybody for this program, for this for this initiative, let me know as well. If you're just joining us, my guest today is Chris King. He is a peak performance executive coach and motivational speaker who is focused on the truth. He's the co-author of Renegotiate Your Existence, Unlock Your Impossible Life. I'm your host, Dr. Luis Cortez. So, Chris, just before we, we went to that last break, we were talking about beliefs. And so the next thing I want to do really quick about that, because I just I just know the power of beliefs, and I love that you've got a whole chapter devoted to this. Um, I want to have you talk to us a bit about how we can replace those outdated, unserving beliefs with more productive ones. How do we get rid of that past garbage? Ooh, that's a tricky one, right? Because because we're <laughs> talking about a system, you know, as you know, everybody's got that operating system in their head that's been running since they were about six years old, right? You know, you, you and I will call it a belief system, right? But it, it's been running since we're six-year-old. This is our understanding of reality, right? So, so this doesn't really change all that easily. Um, and there are any number of tools to do this. Um, and some of them are very subtle. Um, so somebody will say something, this is true, this is a fact or whatever. And, and I, like, I like to play in, um, in the world of absolutes because very little is absolute, right? right. So right. when I say something, this is a fact, is it absolutely true? Like, um, you know who I love? I love um, Byron Katie's work on this, uh, Byron Katie and the work. Mm -hmm. It's brilliant. Uh, they're, they're, she's got books and everything, but th there's four questions, right? So the questions are, you know, you have a belief. Is this true? Question number one. Well, of course it's true. This is my experience. This is true. Okay, great. Can I absolutely know this is true? Okay, now right there, the wheels are going to start to come off a little bit because, again, that absolute word gets very tricky, right? The next question is, what happens when I tell this story? right? Well, like the story that I'm not good enough, or I don't deserve it, or somebody doesn't like me or whatever. 
well, I show up in this way, or I behave a certain way, or I have these feelings, or I, you know, whatever. And then my favorite question, number four, who would I be without that story? Oh, I love that. Yes, I know that one. Really powerful, right? These are very simple kinds of things, you know? But I tell you what, it boils down to, what if you're wrong? Like, look, I get it. It's logical. The neocortex is doing what it does, right? You're logical. It makes perfect sense. The math plays out. It agrees with your experience. It makes sense. And what if you're wrong? Mm -hmm. what if there is a way you can do that. What if there is a way that you could improve your life-work balance? What if there is a way that you could take more time off or not have to do emails on vacation? What if you're wrong? Can your ego handle that? Because I'll tell you what, I ask this question to my clients all the time. Do you want to be right? Or do you want to be effective? Do you want to be right? Or do you want to be happy? Do you want to be right? Or do you want to actually get what you say you want? Are you willing to be wrong in order to do it? Mm, nicely illustrated. I, I certainly recognize and you know, the phrase and I, I'm sure I've uttered it myself, you know, well, the fact of the matter is, um, you know, <laughs> wow. And so I love you, you saying, and What'd you say? Are you sure you're and sure. what if you're wrong? What if you're wrong? And what if, what you're, if wrong? you're wrong? Mm -hmm. Right? Because such an opening quote, I, you know, and I said in the book too, yeah, uh, uh, you know, if, if you argue, for, if you argue for your limitations, you get to keep them. <laughs> right. You win. Good. Right. You, okay. You're right. Congratulations. You're right. You still have terrible life work balance. Right. Yeah. And you're never going to be amount to anything. You're right. Perfect. Let's celebrate. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, aren't you glad you're right? To be right. The problem yeah. is the rest of my life is not quite what I want it to be. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's rewrite that story, shall we? Right. Um, so another thing that you said that was really interesting when we first spoke is you mentioned to me sort of in passing, and I thought it was interesting. You said that you generally find people that you, you who, who seek out to work with you. That in in the, if you look at the gender division, is that men are looking for for success, and women are looking for relief. I think that's really interesting. Can you say more about those general trends? Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to use binary genders because number one, it's, it's ease of conversation. Number two, it's statistically accurate. So right. um, so the men that, that approach us are, it, it's the way that men and women seem to, in my experience and in, in the experience of the organization, uh, relate to their worlds and their work. Okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. As a man of my generation, I am pretty high on my priority list. Like top three, I'm a Gen X or top three most of the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A woman in, in our target demo, say, you know, mid thirties to, to early fifties, she is dead last on her priority list. Yeah. Yeah. Everything else, the, the job and the kids and the house and her mom and the car and the, like all the things come first and she ends up getting leftovers of her own life. Mm -hmm. So Men come to us, they're business owners, they want more efficiency, more productivity, more, it's very masculine drive, more success as they define that. Women are looking for more relief. And one of my teachers, Dr. Robert Holden said something that's so beautiful and I've used this, I said, and it says, if it seems like there's something missing from your life, it's probably you. Oh, that's great. Right? Yes. And so the women that come to us, and that's why I phrase it as life-work balance. They need better life-work balance, not work-life balance, but life-work balance. Like their businesses and their lives are running them instead of the other way around. The so hamster wheel. completely mm -hmm. turn that around, right? Mm -hmm. And put them back in the driver's seat of empowerment. 
So I want to I want to give a phrase that I've used before, Chris, and listeners and viewers, just listen to this because it's it's really got some power, especially if you find yourself at the bottom of the heap. So if you are literally settling for the used coffee grounds of your own life, yet you serve a fresh brewed cup of yourself to everyone else you encounter, what's going on here? Who's winning here? Used coffee grounds of your own life, or 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 putting that up with somebody else that you expect to be on a, on a higher playing field with you. That is such a powerful, I love coffee, by the way, but you know, when I look at those grounds that get thrown away in the garbage can at the end, at the end of the experience, not where I want to be. Right. And that, therein lies the reflection. Remember I said the world is a mirror, right? So what, what is this reflecting back to you? What is the script that drives that, that paradigm? I don't deserve it. They're more important. My needs are less than like, look at what we're telling ourselves mm -hmm. through the lens of, oh, I'm so generous. No, there's no, there's no nobility in being the martyr. Okay. That's a victim construct. We don't do victim here ever. Right. So being the martyr is not, you know, it's the aircraft thing. Put your mask on first. Right. Right. Well, and then I think there's also this other thing, right? That so I'm sure you encounter this all the time, Chris. It's the whole imposter syndrome. But what if people see, what if people recognize I really shouldn't be doing this job? I really don't know what I'm doing, and you know, so then there's this idea that I don't really deserve this anyway, right? I mean, I know you encounter that. Yeah, that's we run into imposter syndrome. I mean, shoot, I've done it, right? Like I was locked into that for years. Um, you know, even when I started working in the neuroscience institute, there were these people that were way above me in terms of pedigree, in terms of tenure. And there were some people that were doing, like even the corporate organization, I mean, you know how corporate works. Corporate doesn't always do the smartest things, right? And I was like, there's got to be somebody smarter than me up that food chain that sees how dumb this is. And apparently not, right? You know, so, <laughs> and I'll tell you there's, and, and again, it's all about tools. You know, it, it, for us in my organization, it's all about, what are the tools that we need to use, right, to start employing? And so if somebody is saying, oh, I'm not good enough for a Honda Accord, I'm just going to go for that Honda Civic. I said, if you're telling yourself you're not good enough for the Honda Accord, launch up to that Mercedes. Like, go the other way with this, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I just, I so appreciate the empowerment stance. And then another thing that we have to talk about, because this is working on purpose after all, is you said to me in the exchange that we had you said that you do not use the word purpose, but rather you prefer to help people align with their own magnetic north, which mm -hmm. is just delicious. So say more about that. Well, look, I don't have advice for anybody. Nobody is qualified to tell you what to do. I know a lot of people think there are, right? And look, there are consultants, you know, and, and what I say to people is, look, if when you don't know what you don't know, hire a consultant. When you don't know what you do know, hire a coach. Because mm. consultants have answers. Coaches have questions. And it's all about eliciting insight. Because as, as we sit here right now, you have every answer to every question, every solution to every problem that you are ever going to run into for your entire life is in there somewhere. So it's not a question of knowing or not knowing. It's a question of access. I don't have to figure out your answer for you because you have it. What I got to figure out is what's the barrier? What is stopping you from accessing what you don't know you know? And once we figure out how to access that, what do I need to do to support you in relating to that and then aligning it with the outcome that you're looking for? Mm -hmm. I'm not in the advice business. The coaches that work for me are not in the advice business. We are here to figure out 
how to give you, how do you get you to give you your advice and then support you through doing what you don't already know you need to do, but you're about to find out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other thing that I think that, that, that we, we both do, cause I do more consulting inside of organizations than I do coaching. So you, we have a complementarity here, but what I also find is that when I'm working with my leaders, even one-on-one, if I'm doing a program inside an organization and then I also work with the leaders, what I find is that when we have our time together, or if you want to call it a coaching session, what I find is that that session alone, that time that they set aside for themselves already is an opening for them because they don't usually do that for themselves, right? So this is a, this is a, it's a dance floor that they don't usually allow themselves to step onto. Um, so already there's a different, there's all, there's a different listening for themselves. There's a different listening to me uh, and, and to our exchange, right? It's just, it's, it is, um, it's glorious. It's a glorious place to, to get to be with somebody. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. You get access in a way that, that most people don't. Well, you know what I've come to understand for me, Chris, is um, what I what I realized is that you know, I wanted I want I want to I want to chew on the barrel the marrow of, of of the bone of life, right? I want the substance, and so these conversations are intimate. You know, there's we're not talking about superficial things that anybody can talk about. We're talking about the intimate stuff of their lives and their hopes and their dreams. That's where I want to be. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's where the magic is. That's where the brilliance is. That's that's where the truth is. Mm, back to that beautiful word, truth. Okay, so we're coming to the close here. It happens. It goes by so fast, especially when we have a good, interesting, lively, energetic conversation like this, Chris. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I do skip um, off the atmosphere sometimes. Yeah, yeah. No, I love it. It's great. Um, so I have one, I have two more questions for you. This next question is, you know, it, it, if you have another story or something else you can share with us, because those stories gives us give us access to how it is that you help people, what they present when they try to, you know, get enrolled with you and, and help from you. Another story, maybe. Well, I had a client that, um, you know, I want to tell a different one, actually. It's very similar. There's some that are the the really hard kind of stuff. Um, I have a client right now, and we're about, I think we're about halfway through, um, you know, the the committed program. And he's he's about, he's about my age, about 50. Um, And he's, he's sort of been on this hamster wheel in his personal life in terms of dating. He still had a very youthful orientation towards it. And, you know, there's, there's just some alignment problems with really, how do I say this? Locking in somebody that is aligned with the lifestyle that he's looking for. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, cause he wants, it wants stable, it wants grounded and all this kind of stuff. But he, he kept chasing after really dysfunctional, toxic relationships. And now, there are a lot of assumptions we can make about his childhood or whatever. Um, ultimately, it boils down to his relationship with his father, strangely mm-hmm. enough. So mm-hmm. it was this approval-seeking kind of thing, right? And so when he realized, you know what, I'm going to insert myself into a situation that, uh, and, and into a framework where I'm going to be with a toxic person who will never approve of me, that I can continue to chase the approval and never get it because this was his relationship with his father, right? His father died less than a year ago. So now he's introducing people to replace dad, to be the disapproval kind of thing. And here's the weird thing, right? Is that part of what seems like it might be happening right now is that the this piece of him is really scared of the ego death. 
and I know you understand this, right? The I do happens. indeed. Mm -hmm. Because what happens when the chase for approval is over? That piece has no purpose, according to that piece, right? That aspect of his of his persona and is going to resist that. It's going to survival, right? This little piece of his psyche needs to survive, so it needs to be on the hamster wheel. It's like, look, maybe it's time, right? Maybe, maybe it's time to let dad go. Maybe it's time to let this go. Maybe, you know, and so he's in a really uncomfortable place right now. Um, and it's a real soft spot. And it's so beautiful to watch this strong, you know, burly guy. He's just man's man, you know, he can slam two by fours together and just be in this soft, beautiful space where he's so gentle with himself. It's just watching his transformation is just such, it, it's, it's the most honoring thing I can think of. I, I can't imagine doing anything else with my life. It's such, uh, I'm so honored to witness this stuff. Chris, that's so beautiful. What a great way to finish. We're, we're at the close here, but this show is to listen to by people around the world. What would you like to leave, leave them with, say in like 15 seconds or so? <laughs> 15 seconds. What if you're wrong? Ah, great way to finish. That is beautiful, Chris. You are a delight and a gift to the world. I'm so glad to know you and have you in my life. Thank you for being on the show and sharing yourself, your thoughts, and your heart with our listeners and viewers across the world. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Listeners and viewers, if you want to learn more about Chris King, his work, his book, start by visiting his website, statusflow.net. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch a via recorded podcast. We were on the air with Dr. Rick Garlick talking about some of the factors contributing to the great resignation plaguing organizations across the world and how pride in the work we do elevates engagement and performance. Next week, we'll be on the air with Amy Herman talking about her book, Fixed, how to, how to, how to perfect the fine art of problem solving. See you there. Remember that works at least a third of our lives, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Together, we'll create a world where business operates conscientiously, leadership inspires impassioned performance, and employees are fulfilled in work that provides the meaning and purpose they crave. See you there. Let's work on purpose.